0: Let's get to our passage today. Um, It comes from Colossians 1.15. The Word of God reads, The Son is the image of the invisible God. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for sending Your Son, Jesus. And I don't know what it is. A lot of times you know, we talk about Jesus every single week at church. But sometimes Jesus doesn't seem real. Sometimes um, we talk about Jesus so frequently. We even teach Jesus to children, but he doesn't seem real. It's not like, you know, it's real to us or he's real to us. So God, we pray in the next few weeks that you just reveal Christ to us in such a way that moves our hearts so that we could just love him And be awed by him. And Father, so that we could be yours. Make that happen. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I started writing this sermon on this whole section. um, I think 15 to 20 or something like that. And all of a sudden, uh, I was into uh, the fifth page of my sermon. And I realized I only got through this first section. And so, which is just the first phrase. And so I realized I need to break up this sermon. And so I, I broke it up into three sections. And so we're just going to cover this phrase, this short phrase. The sun is the image of the invisible God. Okay. And we're going to cover the rest of it in the next two weeks. But uh, I'll talk about it in a second. But here's, here's, here's my intro. Uh, you know, almost 130 years ago in 1893, 1893. This is the illustration. Um, You know, one of the largest expositions in the world was actually held in Chicago, okay? It was called the World's Columbian Exposition, and this is crazy. Over 21 million people attended this exhibition in 1893. This is how crazy it is. They didn't have planes back then. They didn't have cars back in 1893. So how do 21 million people around the world come to this exposition? It was crazy, right? And one main thing about this particular exposition was that Um, they invited all the the leaders of every world religion to come to this exposition for the strict purpose of creating a new world religion. Isn't that weird? Is that what you do? Is that how you create a new world religion? Do you invite all the heads of every religion to come? Anyway, there was a very famous evangelist, probably one of the most famous American evangelists. His name was D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody. And he was one of the most famous evangelists at the time in America. And he said, wow, this is a great opportunity. If people are coming and converging on my city of Chicago to talk about religion and to talk about God, this is like the greatest opportunity that's falling at our doorstep to evangelize and to share Christ and the gospel with all of these people, these 21 million people that are coming to Chicago. And so what he started to do is he rented out churches. He hired halls. He hired movie theaters, or or not movie theaters, but theaters of every kind, and he sent people and preachers to all these places so they could just preach Christ, right, to all of these preaching posts. Now, all of Dwight's, all of Moody's friends said, hey, this is your opportunity to take this thing down, right? This this group, uh, all the spiritual leaders, all the religious leaders, they were called the World Parliament of Religions, and they said, hey, you know, Moody, this is your opportunity to just take them down take down this parliament of religions and so you can preach against them and you know you can just totally just show them how foolish they really are and you know but he made this huge choice he said no i'm not going to do that you know what i am going to do i am just going to preach christ and the gospel so clearly that every man would want him with their life thousands of people came to Christ during this crusade. It was probably the most successful crusade of Dwight Moody's life. You know, and it was such a huge, huge point in Christianity in the history of America. You know... Moody's approach and the way he decided to do that in evangelism was nothing new. This is what everybody had really been doing ever since the first century church. And that's exactly what's been happening in this book of Colossians, right? And the reason is simple. And the mentality and the philosophy is very, very, very very simple. If we present Christ clearly to people, they would turn to Jesus. Do you guys believe that? Do you guys believe that? If people saw Jesus clearly... That they would turn to him? I'm going to do something foolish. Raise your hand if you believe that. Right? Oh, it's weird. I hate it. Don't don't do it. Okay. You know, I'm just going to assume that everyone believes it. Because it's true. If we presented Jesus clearly, people would turn to him. I believe that. And if you believe that too, then here's the real question as as we're here in 2021. Here's the real question. If you believe that and if you think that's true, then why is it? At churches like ours, as well as at churches all around the world these days, which are preaching Christ clearly, hopefully, week after week. Why are people not coming to Christ like crazy? Why are people not absolutely sold out for Jesus? You know, how is it that we can sit in these pews, hear about Christ week after week after week, and instead of passionately following after him more, why is it that there are weeks? that we'll walk away from some of these services maybe even more numb than we were before we came in. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know how sometimes church can be like that? Why is that? I have three reasons why. Okay? Number one. Maybe it's the preaching. Right? You know, maybe the preacher is not painting a clear enough picture of Jesus. A compelling enough picture of Christ. And maybe... The preacher is not really preaching Christ and the gospel. At least what the scripture says about Christ and the gospel, maybe the preacher is not preaching that. I know in the past, the pre- the preachers maybe that you've encountered and I've encountered in my lives, in my life, maybe some of the preachers and the teachers we've encountered, they didn't preach Jesus and the gospel, but they preached it as Jesus and the gospel, but it wasn't Jesus and the gospel, you know. And that was wrong of us and i apologize for myself and on behalf of all of my colleagues if we did that to you you know i'm sure everybody's heart was in the right place it's just that sometimes teachers are not as clear as we think we are you know preachers don't fully understand things you know and understand him as clearly as we wish we could and so sometimes it's like that and i apologize but i promise at least for me as your pastor that every single sunday i will always try to paint the clearest picture of christ to you the best that I can. So maybe one of the reasons why is because of the preaching. And secondly, maybe one of the uh, second reason why is maybe because of the people. That's you. Okay? Um maybe you turned off for some reason. Are you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes people just shut off. They come to church but they're essentially shut off. You know, maybe you got hurt from somebody or maybe you got hurt from some spiritual leader in the past. Maybe you saw the hypocrisy of church and its leaders and you got totally disgusted by it. Maybe you saw things that were just not right done in the name of Jesus. And because you saw that and no one put a stop to it, you shut off. You know? It happens, right? It's happened. I'm sure all of us know stories like that. Um. But the good news is that you're sitting here and you're listening which tells me that you value Jesus enough. But there's a lot of history. And because of the history, sometimes you know you just feel more comfortable turning off, you know? And I get it. I've been hurt too by the church a lot actually. You know, when you become a pastor, I think you get more hurt by the church. You know, uh, so I totally get it, so, but if that's you, can I ask you can I ask you a favor? Can I ask you to give Christ one more charge? sometimes sometimes the church sucks, and I get it, but Christ doesn't, you know, and we're all trying to be like Jesus, so can I ask you to give Christ one more reasonable go? You know I really believe that if you just look at Christ then he if you see him clearly then you'll realize that he is totally worthy of giving all of ourselves to right so will you give him one more go one more time you know open your heart and your mind to who Jesus really is and thirdly maybe the reason why sometimes you know churches are like that is because of simply the timing god's timing you know god does what he does when he wants to do it and maybe it's just not the right time in your life right now for him to do something, you know, something amazing. But if there's something that I'm confident of, and I've seen this over and over and over again as a pastor of I don't know how many years, is that God continually works in the hearts of people and in the minds of people. And I know he's working in your heart right now. And he's doing, and he's building something up within you right now to do something amazing tomorrow. You know, I believe it. I pray with that belief totally in mind. I hope you do. You know, so I hope you're not too frustrated if you're giving Jesus a real go in your life and you just feel like, hey, things aren't kind of working out as quickly as I wish it did. God is working. Okay? Maybe it's one of those reasons. Maybe it's all three. However, I know that if people saw Jesus clearly, that they would absolutely turn to him and they would put down all the other idols within their lives and they would give Christ everything that they're all about. Why? Because they would see his worthiness to be worshipped with everything in their lives. I know that that is already happening here. This past week might have been one of the best weeks I ever had at FLM because I I talked to three individuals, three, on three separate occasions that were telling me, hey, God is changing me. You know, God is changing my heart. I want to invest in Him. I want to be more committed. I actually, I picked up my Bible. I'm starting to read every single morning and I can't get enough, right? Do you know how encouraging that is for pastors to hear? That's so amazing, you know, and so these are three separate people telling me this, that God is just absolutely working, and they can't wait to come to church, to come to CG, to call people, to talk to their non-Christian friends. They're like running to live for God. That is absolutely awesome. So I know God is working here, and and it's absolutely amazing, and I, I just pray that it continues to happen. I also know that there are people in our church, that haven't been hurt, that haven't been turned off in any way, yet your faith is still not passionate. The story of Christ might still not be compelling enough. And this is what I'll say to you. You know, I really believe that the quality of your faith and the depth of your intimacy with Christ is directly correlated with how clearly you see Jesus in your life. And so my hope over the next three weeks as we talk about this passage is that you'll see him clearly. And in the next three weeks, starting from today, will just be a wonderful time of revival. Not just for you, but for everyone here in this room. The reason why I'm talking so seriously at the beginning of this sermon, the reason why I have this huge intro here, is because uh, for this week, as well as the next two weeks, we're actually going to go over the most Christ-centric passage in all of Scripture. You know, every theologian, every pastor believes The next few verses are the most Christ-centric passage in all of Scripture. And as we do, my hope is that all of us will be able to see him clearly. You know, we'll cut through all the fat of church. We'll cut through all the fat of Christianity, and we'll get to who he is. And I really believe that if we all had a glimpse, a truly clear glimpse of who Christ is, even that glimpse is worthy enough of us to give everything to him, so I really hope that, as you see Christ more clearly in the next three weeks, that you'll respond to him appropriately, rationally, and even emotionally. are you guys ready ready here we go verse fifteen the sun is the image of the invisible God you know that's all we're going to study today, but that phrase is absolutely amazing it's only nine words in the NIV but man, you could talk about this phrase for an eternity we won't today, so don't worry. I don't think it's going to be a long message today, anyhow. But it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And in those words, there's a few words and there's a few concepts, I think, that warrants some consideration that we need to unpack to understand this phrase a little bit better, right? And the first one is this. How can something invisible have an image Right? Do you ever you, you just read it cuz it's scripture. But do you ever think about that? How can something invisible like God have an image? That doesn't make sense. That sounds contradictory, right? Is God invisible? Yes or no? Yes. He is, right? The Bible says that he is spirit. Therefore, he cannot be seen. So, if they, if he can't be seen, how can Jesus Christ be his image? And the answer to that question is actually found in the word Image. The Greek word for the word image is icon, which is where we get the English word icon, right? And the word icon in English means what? It means like image, portrait, uh, representation. Um, what else does it mean? Likeness, right? When we see icons everywhere, don't we? All of us have smartphones. Guess what? I guess where all those squares things are on your phones, smartphone. They're icons, right? Icon. Those icons represent exactly what that app does, or what that app is all about—that is, an icon. But in the Greek, the i—the word icon actually has some very powerful nuances, right? An icon in Greek isn't ju- is much more than just a visual likeness of something. An icon is actually a representation of the character and essence of something. Therefore, something invisible can have Image. Do you guys get that? Right? It represents the character and essence of something. When it says that Jesus Christ is the icon of God or the image of God, it's saying that Jesus is everything that God is. Okay? He fully represents God's character and his essence. What does that mean? It means God's holiness. That's in Christ. God's love, God's justice, God's goodness, that's all embodied in Christ, right? Practically, what does that look like? It means that God's heart, God's activities, God's desires, God's thinking thinking is fully on display in the person of Jesus Christ, right? And as great as that theological concept might be, however... That is not the reason why Jesus Christ is the icon of God. Christ is the image of God because there were two things that God desperately wanted to convey to us. Believe it or not, when we look at these nine words, there are two things, three things actually, that God desperately wants to convey to us through these nine words. And here's the first two. The first one is this. What he's saying when he says that Christ is the icon or the image of the invisible guy, What he's saying is God wants us to know him. Okay, that's what it is. God wants us to know him. Let me explain. I want you to think about this for a moment. God is the almighty God of the universe. Okay, he's the almighty God of the universe. And so, you know, he's so huge that he like juggles galaxies for fun. You know, I don't know if he does. I just made that up. But, you know, I made that up because I just want to convey this this picture that God is that huge. He's so huge that the only home that can hold him is what? Heaven. All of heaven. Right? That's how huge God is. And so, you know, God is there in heaven, hanging out with the angels. And what? All the heavenly hosts, all of the universe and all of the creation is doing what? They're worshiping him. That's how huge God is. Okay? Sometimes we just... Forget about how huge God really is. But that's God. Do you guys see how like cosmic and unfathomable God is? That's, that's the picture I'm trying to paint here. So here's the question. Why would this ridiculously huge almighty God of the universe, why would he send his son, God the Son, to this peon of a planet called Earth? That's the question. Right? But he just didn't send his son, did he? Not, not, not according to this verse. He not only sent his son Jesus to the earth, but he sent his son in the fullness of all that he is. Why would he do that? That's the question. right? Why would he send him to be his icon and represent him perfectly? You know, believe it or not, there are so many theological answers to this question. There are many, many books, even in Kurong, written about this question. There are semesters dedicated to answering that questions in seminary. I'm going to save you a, thousand, a few thousand dollars and tell you the answer, okay? Here's the bottom line. God did all that because he wants us to know him, and he just doesn't want us to know him. He wants us to know him fully, and that's the reason why. Did you ever notice that the only people that you truly share your lives and your stories with are the people that you value the most? Do you what I'm talking about? And especially the, the more intimate stories, the more like personal stories, the more intimate and the more personal those stories are in your life, you share them with less people. Who are the people that you share them to? You share them with the people that you truly value most in this world. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're not going to tell anybody, everybody your secrets, but you tell those things to the people that you value the most. I know in my life, I only, t- I only share my most intimate stories and my most intimate, you know, personal everythings with the people that I love the most and the people that I trust the most. And so, unfortunately, that circle is very, very small, right? I call it my inner circle. But that's what I do. Do, you guys, do you, guys, you guys totally understand that? Do you guys do that too? I think we all do. We all do that. But what you have to realize when you read this passage here is that God sent his son Jesus to whom? To us, right? And for Christ to be the icon of God, what it's saying is that God wanted to share every part every aspect of who he is with us. And that's what you need to realize. When it says that the sun is the exact representation, the exact icon, image of the invisible God, and God sent him here to do that, what he's saying is he sent him here so that we could know him fully, right? So that's not just telling us how much God wants us to know him fully, but if you think about it, it really is God's invitation into his inner circle. It's not that he wants you to know him fully. It's because he wants you to be the closest to him. And that's the message behind Jesus being the icon of God. Isn't that huge? You guys have to understand that the almighty God sent his son so that not only we could know him fully, but so that we could be close to him. That's his desire. Number two. The second reason why is because God wants us to be like him. Can you guys think of another place in Scripture where it talks about something created in the image of God? Yes? Probably. you probably think, oh, that's Genesis, right? Man was made in the image of God. And it's true. Um, but does that mean that we and Jesus Christ are carbon copies of each other? Do you guys know what carbon copies are? I've had none of you know what carbon copies are. Okay, that's a different lecture. Anyway, copies. All right. Are do you think you know? Are we copies of each other? And the answer is no. Um, You see, we were made in the image of God, but Jesus is the image of God. Two totally different things, right? What's the difference? Well, first of all, we were made. Right. Jesus wasn't made. Jesus is. Jesus is God, the Son. Okay we were made in his image mean meaning that we were the copy, you know we were made in his image, and Jesus Christ was the original, you know, and that's exactly what this is saying, and so when Jesus Christ became a man, he became he immediately became the perfect model in the flesh of all that we were designed to be, and this is why Jesus Christ came to be a man, and God did that so that we could not only know him personally but so that we could have this tangible, flesh and blood model, example, so that we could know and become everything that God created us to be. Because this is what God wants for our life. How do we know that? Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What is this verse saying? This verse is saying, That if God saved you, he saved you to be conformed to the image of his son. Can you guess what the Greek word for this particular word, image, is? Icon. Exactly. What is that saying to us? It's saying that God wants us to be like Christ in every single way. God saved us to be exactly like Christ in every single way. So how do we do that? How do we know that? How do we know God and become part of his inner circle? How do we become like Christ in every single way? And the answer is, there's only one way. And that is to become the perfect image of God ourselves. That is to become perfect. But because that's something that we cannot do ourselves, it leads us to the final point of why Christ is the icon or the image of God, which is this. Christ is the image of God so that we could be saved, right? You know, the greatest aspect of God's character and essence was displayed when Jesus Christ willingly died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sins. And what was that greatest part? It was love. Someone once said that uh, it wasn't the nails that held his hands and feet to the cross but it was his love for you and me. And if you're a poet, it's beautiful, right? But it's true, and I really believe it's true, right? And if Christ is the icon of God, then that love displayed upon the cross is God's heart for you and me. It's God's love for you and me. Isn't that what John 3.16 says for... God so loved you and me that he sent his son to die, and if anyone believes in him, he could have eternal life. That's exactly what it means. So what is the picture that we're trying to paint here? It's very, very simple. The heart of this huge, unfathomable God of the universe, almighty God of the universe, that heart broke. It broke when he saw sins in our lives. That heart broke so much that he had to do something about it. That heart broke so deeply that he sent his son Jesus. He knew those sins were going to send us to hell. He knew those sins bought us an eternity of suffering in hell and he couldn't stand it. Not in us, it is his creation. And so his heart broke so deeply that he sent his son Jesus Christ to become a man perfectly. Perfect God becoming perfect man to live a perfect life so that when Christ died upon the cross, He could die a perfect death. Meaning, His perfect death satisfied the penalty for all the sins that we've committed within our lives. All the sins that satisfied the wrath of God upon the cross, that penalty. So that our sinfulness could be replaced perfectly with His righteousness. And the goal being? So that we could be made perfect in his image once again. That's what Christ accomplished for us. Jesus is the image of God who died on the cross and resurrected from the dead, so that we, whose original image became marred by sin, can now be restored to know him, to be like him, to be loved eternally by him in every single way. This is why Jesus is the image of God. The icon of God gave his life so that we could be restored to be the icon of God again. This is why Jesus is the icon, the image. There's only one application that I want to share with you today, and that's this. Focus on Christ alone. That's it. Focus on Christ alone. Um, when I was applying for my citizenship in Australia many years ago, I had to like photocopy all of my crucial documents, like my passport, my birth certificate, all that kind of stuff, right? Anyway, I, I remember handing in my a copy of my birth certificate to the government per person. And the government, and he looked at this copy, and he was like, hey, it's a little bit faded here. I can't read this aspect of this copy you happen to have the original on you, and I did. And so I pulled it out, pulled out my original birth certificate, and I gave it to him. He took one look at it, and it all made sense, right? Simple. Anyone who's ever made photocopies in your life, you know that the copy is never as clear as the original, right? Isn't that true? It's the same in, in the spiritual life, in the spiritual realm as well. There are times within our lives where it'll be filled with confusion. It'll be filled with brokenness. It'll be filled with pain. It'll be filled with sin, right? And it's during those times that we need to train ourselves not to look at the issues with the copy, but to keep our eyes focused on the perfection and the truth of the original. Right. Do you guys understand what I'm trying to, is the metaphor to whatever. You know, keep your, don't keep your eyes focused on what's wrong with your life. But we need to learn to keep our eyes focused on the truth and the purity and the clarity of who God is. And the moment you look at God, it'll all make sense. Staring at your sins and your brokenness in this world does us no good. It makes no sense to stare at blurriness, right? Am I right? It doesn't. It's only when our eyes and our hearts and our minds are completely focused upon Christ. That's where, it's in Him alone, do we find hope. Do we find joy. Do we find grace. Do we find power. And do we find clarity and understanding for our lives? So train yourselves to focus on Christ. Right? Train yourselves to focus on perfection and never the blurriness of the copy. I know we all go through stuff. And that stuff is tough. And the stuff messes us up. But there's, it's going to do you no good looking at the messed up stuff. You'll never get any better. You need the truth and the clarity and the understanding of all who He is. All of us were made in the image of God. And what that really means is that the depth and the quality of our faith will always depend on how clearly we see Him. And so if that's the truth, the man, maybe the, our life's priority every single day when we wake up is to see Him clearly. If you want to do that, you know, increase your study of Christ in Scripture. Keep your mind and your heart focused on Christ throughout the day. Ask God to help you see, hear, and feel your life through the eyes and the ears and the hands of Christ. Live a life that's focused upon Christ alone and rediscover the image of God that God created you for. Let's pray. You know, all of us are made in the image of God, but sin marred that image. We were meant to be holy, to live holy, to love and be loved by the holy of holies. But we exchanged all that with this eternally destructive love for ourselves. Therefore, the image that we were once created and became distorted, it became disfigured. But God sent his son to be or as the image of God. He is the image of God. So that our image could be restored. But there was only one way that that could happen. He had to pay the penalty for our sins perfectly. And so Jesus Christ willingly died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and to exchange it for His perfect righteousness so that we could live as perfected images of God in this world and for eternity. So to be restored, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've never done so, can I ask you to do that today? Put your faith in Jesus. Be restored to who He created you to be. And live your life as His image. If you wanna do that, can I just invite you to talk to God, put your faith in Christ, and from this day forward, start living the life that He created you for as people made in His image. Let's pray. We thank you so much that you loved us so much. We thank you, God, that you cared so much, so much that your heart broke so badly that you had to send your son, Jesus, to take care of what we we could never take care of on our own. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to be as, or we sent your son, that you sent your son, God, as your image, so that our image in you could be restored so that we could find our true purpose, our true reason for living, everything that we are in you alone. Father, I know there are so many people here with brokenness and with difficulties within their lives. God, I pray that you train all of us never to stare at the brokenness or the blurriness of the copy, but God, to always find our answer and our understanding and clarity and hope and joy in you alone. Father, because we were made in your image. So God, I pray that as people focus their lives upon Christ, God, that you would heal people, you would restore people. You would challenge people, God, to truly live for you with all that they have. And Father, that you would help each one of us find our true purpose in you alone. We thank you, God, for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.